Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Well, we are starting a new teaching series today called In His Steps, and over the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through very briefly uh, the life of Jesus from the time that he calls his followers to the time that he goes to the cross. And so this series will go from now until Easter, and we're just going to walk through some of the steps that Jesus took with people as he called people to follow him and as he introduced some important aspects of what it meant to be his follower. We're going to walk in the steps of Jesus. Uh, Now, I understand that a lot of you have not had a chance to talk to me since I got back from my trip to Israel, and the question that everybody who does talk to me has said, how was your trip to Israel? And so I'm just going to go ahead and put that out for everybody. It was awesome. I had a great time, uh, loved going, and uh, and I've been telling people, if you really want to sit down and talk about it sometime, we were there for nine days. Probably I could, showing you pictures, take about one hour per day and show you some stuff. So if you've got nine hours you want to sit down and talk at some point, I'll be happy to do that with you. Uh, or better yet, you could just go yourself. It is an amazing experience and incredible opportunity, and we're looking at the possibility of putting together a trip next year, 2024, that our church would be able to go and visit the Holy Land. So start making plans, get some more details and information. Kyle's helping us with that, and it's going to be a great, great time. So, uh, so make some plans to go with us, hopefully. All right, well, as we get started today, I do want to show you a video that I shot while in Israel, and, uh, and so I'm going to try to mix some of these in throughout the course of this series in different places we visited to give some context and location to the things that we experienced. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about Jesus calling his first followers to come and be with him, and he does that on the Sea of Galilee. And so this video this morning is shot on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I'd love for you to check this out. I will tell you at the very beginning, it's got some quietness to it. Uh, I'm not a professional videographer and was holding a phone like this in my face. And uh, apparently I didn't talk very loud in the camera. So uh, it is a little quiet at first. I think it picks up a little bit. So lean in at the very beginning. But this is a video from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I'm standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee this morning. Our last day in Galilee as we start to head south to the Dead Sea and then on to Jerusalem. But this place has been so special to see where Jesus' ministry was based out of. And here on the Sea of Galilee, especially in this area where Jesus called his first disciples and where he spent time with his disciples training them and helping them to understand what it meant to be his follower. When Jesus called them, especially those who were here fishing, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's three components to that call. One, that we follow Jesus, that we be close to him. Two, that we uh, be changed by Jesus, that he's going to make us something. And he says he's going to make us fishers of men, that he's going to put us on his mission. So that's the third aspect, that we're on mission with Jesus, that we are with Jesus, we're being changed by Jesus, and we're on mission with Jesus. And the, the beauty of this place, being able to see it today, and not knowing exactly what it looked like in the time of Jesus, but very much like this, that we would see this call that he puts his other followers on, and remember that we are on this same journey today, 
that we are on a journey to be with Jesus. One of the uh, aspects of being a disciple is that the disciples were known as the Talmudine, those who were followers of their rabbi. That one of the sayings as you would be with other rabbis and as you would pass by other rabbis with their disciples, the rabbis would spend time together talking. The disciples of each rabbi would spend time talking as they would leave each other. It was often said that the disciples would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that you would follow so closely to your rabbi that his dust from his feet as he walked in front of you would come up onto you. And that's our call as followers of Jesus. Not just that we attend church, not just that we are good moral people, but that we are so closely following our rabbi that his very dust covers us, that we are being changed by him continually, that his teaching is impacting us and changing us so that we're more like him, that we lose ourselves to be like him. And then finally, that we're on the mission that he's called us to, that life isn't so much about us and what we want and our desires, but his mission. Then Jesus called us to go and reach people with the gospel, to see people's lives changed, to embrace him as their rabbi, him as their savior, and him as their Lord. And so we think about this mission of being disciples in this place where Jesus called and trained his disciples. And today, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And I want us to look at this call that Jesus has when he first calls his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, And we had read earlier for us from John's gospel that Andrew is one of the first people who meets Jesus. He was originally a follower of John the Baptist. And John points him to Jesus, and then he takes Jesus and introduces him to Peter or Simon. And so we're going to see some of these first calls of Jesus into ministry. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 says this, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon or or Peter and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and his brother, John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and they followed him. All right, and so when we think about this, I want you to get a sense of the area that we're talking about this morning. We're going to put a map up on the screen of the area around the Sea of Galilee. And what you'll notice is that this town, this location where Peter and Andrew and James and John are is in Bethsaida. It's up on the kind of the upper right hand corner there. Uh, That is the north. Uh, east side of the Sea of Galilee. And so in Bethsaida, Jesus calls five of his 12 disciples. Now, Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, which is not located on this map, but kind of down in the middle, you'll see Tiberias. Uh, To the southwest of Tiberias uh, is Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. But when he started his earthly ministry as an adult, he moved his ministry location to Capernaum. All right, so you'll see Capernaum at the very top of the Sea of Galilee up there if you're looking in the middle. I understand it's a little bit small. Go find this map for yourself on Google Images. That's where I got it. And uh, you can kind of check out some of the location. But as Jesus is basing his beginning part of his ministry in Capernaum, Mark says he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He comes to this town, Bethsaida, and it's there that he calls his first disciples to him. 
And so he goes along, and here's what we understand about Bethsaida. Uh, Bethsaida means fishton or fisher town or fishing village, right? Like that's what the word Bethsaida means. It is a place where people fish. It's a small community uh, where people fished from. So it's not unusual that when Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, he runs into fishermen in a village called Fishtown, right? Like this is where they grew up. This is where they live. This is what they do. What is important for us to understand is who these men are and why they're doing this. And so here's what we would know from Jewish culture and Jewish custom. If you were uh, a young boy or girl in Jewish culture, you would go to kind of a, a school of sorts, most specifically in a synagogue, and children would learn the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. They would have just called it the Testament, I guess. Uh, it was the scriptures that they had, right? And so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, by the time a child was 12 years old, they had basically memorized the Torah. Any of our kids in here memorize the Torah? Not so much. No, it hasn't happened, right? But that's what would happen. Now, if you were an exceptional student, after you were age 12, you might move on to a higher form of some education and a higher form of learning, and they would continue to teach you. And then if you were great in that step, the standouts from that part of life moved on to another place where a rabbi might call them into relationship with him. And then you would be known as a Talmud or a group of people who followed him were the Talmudine, right? So a Talmud is a disciple. The Talmudine is a group of disciples. So these guys, when we think about Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip, all guys who grew up in Bethsaida, when we think about them and they're like, why are they fishing? It's because they kind of washed out of the school, the education program. They went through the early years. They knew the Torah. They had been trained in that part, but then they weren't exceptional. They weren't standouts. They didn't have the next level education and they weren't called by a rabbi to come and follow them. They're not following after a rabbi in his footsteps and going wherever he goes. They're fishing with their parents. So here's what we would see. When you would wash out of school, so to speak, or if you didn't take those next steps educationally, if you weren't called by a rabbi, you went back home to your family and you joined in with the family business. And so Peter, Andrew, James, and John are fishers. Their family are fishers. James and John, their dad Zebedee, who's mentioned in the text, he is a fisherman by trade. He's got a fleet of ships. He's kind of uh, an important guy in this part of, uh, of Bethsaida. And so we see all of this taking place. But when we look at it, we go, man, what's so important about these guys? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Except... Jesus walks along. And on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees some guys and he throws out an invitation to them. Hey, you, come follow me. I'm a different kind of rabbi than you've ever seen before. And I'm inviting you, although the world has said you're nothing special, you're nothing important, they've kind of thrown you away and been done with you and you've just accepted your life as fishermen. I'm calling you now out of the boats to come and follow me. And so here's what we see. And if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Jesus sees value in the things that the world tosses aside. Jesus is always going to see value in the things that the world looks at and goes, man, that's not very good. We don't really even care about that. We don't want that. Right? Like in these guys, for them, very often the ways of Jesus and his kingdom run contrary to the way that the world functions. And what looks like weakness in the eyes of the world is power in the hands of Jesus. 
Like when you think about your life and you go, oh man, I'm too weak to do anything. I'm nobody special. I'm nothing important. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100% right. And yet you're the kind of person that Jesus chooses to say, come and follow me. Come and be with me. Come get right on my hip and just walk where I walk. Stay in my steps. Go where I go and do what I do and hear what I teach and follow after me. Right? That's the invitation of Jesus. And so this is one of the amazing things about the group of people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. They're not impressive. They're not the best in their class. They're not changing the world. And yet he sees something in them. He goes, you guys come and follow me. I'm choosing you. Everybody else has left you out, but I'm choosing you. Jesus takes them. He invests in them for three years. He pours his life into them. He gives them his teachings. He does all of these things with him and he prepares them to lead because he knows one day he's gonna go away. He's gonna return to his father and he's gonna leave them with the responsibility and the power of the Holy Spirit to build his church. And so Jesus' investment in these guys is incredible. And here's the most amazing thing for us. Jesus has called you. And Jesus is calling you. And some of you don't believe that this morning, but Jesus is calling you to come and follow him. He wants to be in relationship with you in a way that will change you. He wants to be in a relationship with you in a way that will wake you up to his glory and change your life and then change the world. And so think about just this call that he gives to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. So what would make someone in their career, drop everything that their family has built and follow a rabbi. Like Mark tells us that when Jesus sees Andrew and, uh, and his brother John, he says, man, these guys are, are being called by Jesus. And he says, they, they just left their nets with their father and the hired men and they dropped everything and they turned and they followed Jesus. What in the world would make them do something like that? I mean, you think about where these guys are in their life. Luke gives us some more details around the story. If you have uh, a Bible, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and following. And here's what we find in Luke. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon. Now, probably this synagogue was, uh, if you were to have the map, you would find this probably in Capernaum. Capernaum was a large village, uh, a large city, actually. The people from Bethsaida, after they caught the fish, would come over to Capernaum to sell their fish a lot of time. There was a fishing port in Capernaum, and this is where Jesus' ministry was based. And so more than likely, Jesus is in the synagogue at Capernaum. It says, he went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and began to wait on them. Then at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, a couple of things for us to understand here. More than likely, when it says he went to the home of Simon, because Simon lives and works in Bethsaida and they're in Capernaum, this is probably the home of Simon's mother-in-law, but they attribute it to Simon. When we were in Israel, we got to see the location that they believe they have pinpointed as that very home, that this is where Simon's mother-in-law lived. Uh, they built this building over the top of it. It looks like a spaceship. It's kind of weird. But if you go up into the building, there's a glass floor and you can look down into the home where it's possible in Capernaum, that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. 
crazy, right? Like this happened 2000 years ago. And we're like, this could be it. This could be the location, right? And so the, all the, the other thing that I want you to see here is that Jesus heals her. But what was the, the setting of this? It was on the Sabbath, right? They had just left the synagogue, gone to her house. It's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Jesus has run-ins and encounters all the time with the Pharisees because he does stuff like this. He'll heal someone on the Sabbath. But if you notice in verse 40, it says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all those who had various kinds of illnesses. The Sabbath for the Jewish people begins at sunset on Friday and ends at sunset on Saturday, right? And so at sunset, the Sabbath is over. Now what happens? They bring all these people to Jesus and they're like, can you heal them now? Right? Like the Sabbath is finished. Now let's get to work. Right? And so they want this to take place. And so that's the setting. Verse 41 says, moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you're the son of God. But he rebuked them and he would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. And at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that's why I, I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. All right. So Peter's brother, who was a follower of John the Baptist, has already met Jesus. We read that in John's gospel earlier. He's brought him to Peter. Somewhere along the way, Jesus, Peter, and Andrew have this relationship. This is before what we read in Mark. Jesus hasn't called them to come follow him yet. Jesus is just spending time around these guys. He's in Capernaum. He's in Bethsaida. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. Like All these things are happening. Then we move on, and we're like, why in the world? Remember the question, why in the world would somebody drop their nets and just follow Jesus? Jesus is already doing things in their life to show his power, to reveal to them who he is. So then we move on to chapter five, and we're going to see another example of this. Same kind of context and story. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, same place, Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, and the Sea of Tiberias. If you're reading in scripture and you see those three titles, it's all the Sea of Galilee, all right? It's a little confusing, but it's all based on where you are geographically as to what they call the lake. But it's the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, all right? So when they're standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around Jesus and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he, saw, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, because you're the one who healed my mother-in-law, because you've demonstrated power, you said so, I'm going to let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Right. So when we look at this again, we ask ourselves, why would these guys just drop everything and follow Jesus? Well, Jesus has been around them. They've seen incredible things. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law. Now he gets in this boat with them. They've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. These are professional fishermen. 
And yet Jesus goes, well, what if you put your nets on the other side of the boat? And they're like, oh, yeah, we never thought of that before, Jesus, right? And he's like, no, 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 just do it, trust me, right? And they're like, okay, since you're the one that said it, and since we've seen an example of your power already to heal people, we're going to drop our nets on this side of the boat. And as soon as they do, their nets just fill up with fish. So much so that the nets start to break. And as they're pulling it in, another boat comes up, their partners come up, and their boat starts getting full, and then the boat starts sinking. And all of a sudden, Peter is like, this is crazy. Jesus, you have to go away. Because I'm a sinner, and I don't belong in your presence. There's something different about this rabbi. And the reason that they'll leave everything and follow him is because he's demonstrated his power of who he is. Now, here's what's incredible about this, and here's for us where we get some opportunities to think about some things. Jesus is the Messiah that they've been looking for. They've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah of Israel to show up. And then when Jesus does show up, when he comes up on shore and they start to recognize him, he had authority that the other rabbis didn't possess. He did miracles that the other rabbis couldn't do. He's healing people. He's teaching in a way that no one else teaches. And they're able just to leave everything and follow him. And maybe this is helpful for some of us today to go, well, why should we follow Jesus? Why should we do that? And here's what's great for the disciples and for us to see. The disciples don't have the full big picture. Like Jesus is introducing himself to them on these little things, these miraculous events, these special occurrences when he spends time with them. But they're getting little pieces of the picture at one time. They don't have the full story. And yet they're willing to leave everything and go, you're the one we've been waiting for. We're going to follow you. And for us, we're blessed in so many ways because we have the full story of what Jesus has done. We have the example of him going to the cross and dying for our sins. We see that he took our sin and our shame and our reproach and our guilt and all of our sinfulness and he carried it on himself. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That Jesus took the sin that you should be punished for and God placed it on him on the cross. And he paid for that. All of the wrath of God poured out on Jesus to pay for your sin. And then we see him die on that cross and be buried in a tomb, but he doesn't stay dead, right? Like this is the beauty of what we'll celebrate in five weeks with Easter. The stone rolls away. We sang about it this morning, this miraculous breath that took place on that Easter morning, that Jesus, who was lying dead in a tomb, starts to breathe again. And the Spirit of God brings Jesus back to life. And in power, he steps out of the tomb and he walks back into life and he says, I am who I told you that I am. And so the disciples get to see all of this unfolding in real time. We get to look back at the story and go, why would I follow Jesus? Because I've seen what he's about. I've heard his teachings. I've listened to his miracle. I've, I've listened to his teachings. I've seen his miracles. I've seen him die on the cross. I've seen him be buried in a tomb. I've seen him come back to life again. And I've heard his invitation to say, leave everything and come follow me. Why would I do that? Because he's the Messiah of the world. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's the one who has absolute power over everything. So when Jesus calls us to follow him, we can look at all he's done and say, it's totally worth it to lay down my hopes, my plans, my dreams, my identity, my deal, 
and I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to take up his plans. And so that idea of saying, man, what does it look like to be covered in the dust of your rabbi? That we would be people who would walk step by step with him in his steps, that we would follow along with him to go, we will do that because of what he's done for us. There's so much more to Christianity than this idea of gathering once a week on Sundays and singing songs and listening to a sermon. Like Christianity is about so much more than that. Jesus never once says to his disciples, hey, why don't you guys come and follow me? I'll be at the synagogue on Sabbath. Be there. I'll preach for an hour. Then y'all can go back about your life and maybe think about me again. Maybe not. That's never Jesus's invitation. His invitation to the disciples then and his invitation to us is the same today. Come follow me. Be with me. Be near me, not just on Sunday, not just on Sabbath. Be near me all the time. Follow me every day. Follow me every step. I want you to be right beside me every day of your life. And I'm going to draw you into relationship with me. But I want you to know this this morning, that to do that, it's costly. Walking in the steps of Jesus will always lead to a cross. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, and he's telling us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So you need to know that this is always going to lead to a cross. And when we go back and look at Mark's gospel, and we see this call of Peter, James, Andrew, John. When we see them be called into relationship with Jesus, we find that they left these boats. But here's the thing that I want you to pay attention to for just a minute. Look at their father, Zebedee. Zebedee is this guy who's built an incredible fishing industry. This is not just like mom and pop fishing with Zebedee and his boys, right? This is like, we've got boats. We've got hired men who have boats. We've got a fleet going on. We are out on the sea fishing. This is what we've done. Zebedee has built this thing that his intentions are is to pass along to his sons and to his grandsons and to his great grandsons. But when Jesus walks up and he calls these boys out of the boat, it says they drop their nets They walk onto the shore, they leave the boats, and they never turn around and look back. And I want you to notice what Mark does not say here. He doesn't say, Zebedee jumped out of the boats, went running after his sons all crazy, going, where are you going? You got to come back. Don't go with him. This is where your future is. This is what I've built for you. This is what's intended for your whole life. This is fishing. This is what it's about. Zebedee doesn't do that. Zebedee just lets his boys go because he's been waiting for the Messiah too. And he recognizes Jesus and he releases his sons to something so much greater than fishing. And so parents, for us, that's just a word for us today to think about. When we think about raising our kids, we have hopes and dreams and ambitions and desires for our kids and none of that is wrong. It's fine for you to have those kind of things. But Jesus has given you your children to point to him. To say, no matter what else comes up in life, he's what you're after. He's the priority. He's the most important thing. And if he calls you to something that I never dreamed of, or I didn't have plans for you in this life, I wanted you to be an accountant or a doctor or whatever, and you're like, yeah, but Jesus is calling me to go and serve in some other way, or to be a pastor, or to go overseas, or to run a nonprofit, or I don't know what Jesus is going to call you to do. But parents, when your kids get that call from Jesus, our responsibility is with open hands to release them to him. And to go, he's better. And his vision and his dreams and his plan for your life are so much better than the dreams and plans and vision that I have. And it's our responsibility 
to take these people that are on loan to you from God in the first place and to give them back to him and to raise our kids to say, look for Jesus. He's going to call you. And when he does, you be ready to jump out and go follow him. And I'm not going to chase after you, chasing you down to stop you. I'm going to be cheering you on from behind. Go, go be with Jesus. Walk in his steps. That's the path. And so as we close up this morning, I want us to think about three things that just look like obstacles to us in this idea of following Jesus. Because we can make excuses all the time. We can go, but the comfortable thing is showing up for church on Sunday. The comfortable thing is just being around a group of people who are really like me and not following Jesus all that wholeheartedly. I mean, I've got kind of my salvation in pocket where I'm going to go to heaven when I die because I've trusted in Jesus with my life. But what does it really look like to follow him? So let me give you three things really quickly that can be obstacles to following Jesus. Number one is failure. Some of you might say, well, you don't know what I've done. My past disqualifies me from following him. Like, you don't know where I've done, you don't know what I've been, you don't know what's happened in my life, but nothing could be further from the truth. There is no sin that the grace of God does not overcome. Amen. There is nothing that you have done, are doing, or will do that Jesus did not pay for on the cross, and that he has not set you free from and given you a permission to walk away from it and to step into his freedom. That's what the cross does for us. In fact, when you see Peter, if you jump to the end of this gospel, you're going to find that Peter and John, on the night that Jesus is taken to trial and crucified, when he stands in front of the Sanhedrin, and John gets some access into the courts, and Peter's there, they're the only two disciples that kind of follow Jesus somewhat close to his trial. And at the trial, three times, Peter denies even knowing who Jesus is. And at the end of this, Jesus dies on a cross, is buried in a tomb, and you just know that Peter is broken over that. He's like, I failed. I denied him. I walked away from everything. This is the guy that was like, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll go to death with you if that's what it takes. And yet, within 20 hours, he denies Jesus three times. And so we see this, but then when Jesus comes back to life, here's what we find. He has a conversation with Peter that invites him back into relationship. He says, Peter, I forgive you. Peter, I forgive you. I'm calling you into something different. Your past does not define what I've got for your future. I want you to have this relationship with me. And so he leads Peter back to this place where he puts him in charge of the other disciples in the beginning of the church. Your past does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation. It's very famous. You would all know part of this conversation and what takes place here. He meets a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking questions about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus just says, listen, if you want to engage in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. Like this is the power of what Jesus does through the cross is he takes where we are in life and he says, yeah, I know you've messed up. I know you've got sin in your life. I know you even say, I've kind of got these propensities to do these sinful things, or I was born with this intrinsic nature to be drawn to this sin, and I've got this way of looking at things. And Jesus says, here's what you need to know. I'm inviting you to be born again, to come out of those things that have been part of your life. Yes, that's been your testimony. Yes, that's been your story, but be born anew. You've got a fresh start with me. 
Step into something that there's forgiveness for everything in your past and follow me. Be born again. And then here's the second obstacle to following Jesus. Some of it just comes down to expectations. And some of you would say, well, I'm not good enough. There are others who are far more qualified people out there to, to, to follow Jesus, that Jesus, he's going to call them, but it's not me. So let me just tell you a secret this morning. Jesus isn't building his church on how impressive you are. He's not. There is not one time that after Jesus leaves and goes back to heaven that the disciples start to say, okay, guys, now come follow me. Peter never once preaches a message and goes, if you guys will just follow me and do what I'm doing, follow me. Like, it's about me now. Jesus is gone. You guys follow me. All of the disciples always point to Jesus still. Follow him. You can watch my example as I'm following him, but ultimately you got to follow him. Follow him. It's not about me. Jesus is not looking at you and going, I expect you to be so stinking awesome that the whole world is going to want to do what you're doing because you're so incredible. Like you're awesome. Like you're just amazing. I can't even believe there's never been a Christian in the history of Christianity that's as awesome as you are. Why don't you call people to follow you, awesome Christian? He's never done that. Not once. He's going, you live your life following after me and you point people to me and I'll be responsible for changing them. I'll be responsible for bringing life impact, right? It's not about us. If I called people to follow me, it would be a huge mistake, but I'll call people to follow Jesus all day long because it's about him. And then here's number three, the last thing. Some of us just have this unwillingness and the the statement is, well, I just don't want to. <laughs> Jesus invites you to follow him, and you just go, nah, I, don't just, I just don't want to. Right? You think about the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, well, you got to do these things and follow these commands. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 I've done all that, but you know, I've been perfect in all those things. What else does it take? And Jesus goes, okay, then sell everything you have and give your possessions to the poor. And the Bible says the man turned away sad, because he had great wealth. Jesus is like, here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. You want to follow me? The invitation is there. Come follow me. What's it going to take? It's going to cost you everything. And the guy just goes, no, I don't want to do that. I want heaven. I want eternal life. But I don't want to give up what it takes to follow you, Jesus. I'm not willing to lay everything down to be with you. And some of us just say, you know what, I've heard the invitation, I've been told this my whole life, I've heard this message about Jesus, and over and over and over again, I've just gone, no, nah, I don't want to. But today, the invitation still exists. And so as Jesus is calling us this morning, here's where I want to end today. Jesus calls those that the world rejects, and anyone and everyone who will bow their knee to God and admit, or to Jesus and admit he's God, can come into his kingdom. So if you go back to Mark, or excuse me, if you go back to Luke chapter 5 and you look in his gospel, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, this is after this miraculous catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Right? So maybe right now you don't have a complete understanding of who Jesus is, and that's okay. Peter didn't either. But Peter was willing to look at Jesus and get down on his knees and say, you're You're holy. And you're something different than I am. And I recognize you as being powerful in ways that I'm not. 
And so for us, when we think about this, initially Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, believe me, trust me, obey me. He just says, follow me. Come follow me. And that's the invitation for us today too. Hey, come follow me. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have every answer to every question spiritually. But Jesus is still saying, come follow me. And in the process of you following me, I'll change you. And in the process of being changed, I'll put you on my mission. And then you're going to be with me forever. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.